good evening. I give honor to our great, our worthy God, the one who alone is deserving of of all glory and honor, all praise, power, might, majesty, dominion are His, and we recognize Him in the trinity of His sacred persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one eternal God. I'm blessed to be with you. Uh, once again today, I am grateful to our God for the privilege you've extended to come and to preach God's Word here at Spring Lake Baptist Church. Uh, for me and Terry, I think coming back to this area is a stroll down memory lane. Uh, we know many of you for many years, and uh, I'm glad for visitors that are here tonight. Good to see our friend Brother Barry, who's of more recent days a friend, although we've known of him for years up on uh, 87, but... I'm glad to see uh, our brother Junior Basham and Sister Ruby. Uh, they've been beloved to us for many years. As we drove over to Brother Kevin and Sister Rhonda's, we drove by what was home for about seven years to me and Terry, Gospel Baptist Church Parsonage. And Brother Junior and his wife were uh, faithful, faithful members of that church then and now, and uh, Brother Junior, a very faithful deacon and Sunday school teacher. Uh, he wept a lot of times teaching, and I wept with him as he teached the Word of God when we were there at Gospel, and it's so good to see them tonight, uh, many of you, and we think about the history of this church and how uh, when Brother Frank McGuire was led of the Lord to begin this congregation, how he was a beloved friend to us. Uh, he was a preacher's preacher and a pastor's pastor, and we were thankful for his friendship and uh, rejoicing. Even I think early days when Pastor David Dickerson came to preach uh, meetings here back in the late '80s, so a uh, lot of lot of memories gather together and well up in my bosom as I uh, reflect on where God's brought us from, and we are thankful. Uh, of course, I see Ms. Brooks, and we weren't quite living in Osceola community, but close enough. We were between the metropolises of Osceola and Adam Hall and Ossipee, and uh, they're on the Osceola Road. But we are, we're just grateful to be here, and uh, we thank God not only for good memories of the past, but we thank God for blessings of the present. Thank God that He doesn't stop blessing His people. It's His purpose from eternity past to bless us. And He's purposed to do that in His Son, and He will not stop. In Jeremiah 32, it speaks about it. God says about His people, I will not turn away from doing them good. Child of God, that means you can't lose for winning. Because He said that. And He is God, and nothing is going to stop, hinder, nor thwart His purpose. And we can rejoice in that as His people. I want to invite you to turn with me tonight to the book of Luke, chapter 3, please. And that wasn't the sermon there. Those were just a few introductory remarks. But uh, may I invite you to look with me in the third chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. And as I read from that chapter, I'd like to give you by way of a title for the message tonight, Repentance, the Gospel according to John. Now you say, well, Brother David, I thought you were reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Yes, but as we read the Gospel according to Luke, we're going to read the words that give us the preaching of John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning as we looked in the Sunday school hour, we focused on uh, the uh, book of Judges a bit and thought about how that book of Judges really is filled with instruction for us as God's people as to how we need to have a holy hatred for sin and a desire by grace to turn from it. Something Israel lacked in those days because she just kept going through that repetitive cycle of turning from the Lord, His chastisement upon them, His chastening hand, and then... Crying out to God, God raised up a judge, delivered them from the chastening, the enemy He brought upon them, but then they were right back to square one. And uh, by the grace of God, we can avoid that by repentance. Then we looked in Jeremiah 3 at repentance, and I want us to keep along the lines of that same theme. And as we do, I'd remind you of the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14. 
I know they're familiar words, and they're words that some people debate. Well, we shouldn't take them as the church today because those words were for Israel. Well, I believe they were for Israel, but I believe there's a message for us. You'll remember those words, Second Chronicles 7.14. God spoke to Solomon at the dedication of the temple and He said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now I am not a member of the commonwealth of Israel. Ephesians 2 would inform me of that clearly as a Gentile. And yet... I am one of His people who's called by His name. And because of that, that promise has application to me. And I can as God's people and you and I together, and I believe this is incumbent upon us in this day, particularly in our country at this time. We need to be seeking to do that by the grace of God. Call upon Him. Lay hold upon Him. Turn from sin. Be stirred up in our souls. And these words of Luke 3 may be a help to us along those lines. So let's look together, please. I'll read in your hearing, beginning at verse 1. And I'd like to read through to the words there of verse 23. And then we'll drop down to verse 38. Just to get a little bit of that wider context of the chapter. But if you will, again, start with me in reading it. The words of Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance, for the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do? Then he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely and be content with that with your wages and as the people were in expectation and all mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not John answered saying unto them all I indeed baptize you with water but one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee 
I am well pleased. And Jesus Himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. And then if you'll drop down with me to verse 38, there we read of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. We trust our God will add His blessing to His Word this evening as we look to it and think particularly again about that subject. Repentance, the Gospel according to John. But may we just pause before our God to ask His blessing on His Word. Father, we bow in the holy name of Thy worthy Son, the One whom You acknowledged here in these words we've read at His baptism, words that spoke of Him as Your beloved Son, Father, we own Him as such as we come before You now in that name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask You by Thy Spirit who came in bodily form upon Him as a dove, we ask Thee by that same Holy Ghost that tonight You would honor Him in our midst. And Father, You would grant us as we hear the words of Your servant, the prophet, the Baptist John, that Father, we might be enabled of Thee, that we, Father, might be a people who would Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Father, I pray for Your work in our lives. I pray for Your grace. I pray, Lord, for our land in this day. Father, we need to see repentance. Father, we need to see a turning. We need to see, Father, Your Spirit come in mighty power that we might see revival. We long for that, Father, and ask of Thee that You would be pleased to stir in our own souls this evening. And Father, as You do that, we pray that we would be moved to lay hold of Thee. To, Lord, be a people by Thy Spirit, Father, and able to pray by the Spirit of grace and supplications. We'd look to the pierced One that pierces hearts. And, Father, we would see the Lord Jesus exalted in a greater way in our lives and in His churches. Father, may You do that to the honor of Your Son, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. Again, as we look at these words this evening, we think together about that reality of repentance and we focused on it in some measure already this morning from Judges and from Jeremiah. But we come this evening to the book of Luke and as we look at the Gospel according to Luke, we want to think about John's preaching here as he was given a ministry by God of preparing the way of the Lord Jesus. Now we'll see that as we look to these words of Luke 3. But as we do that, I want you to notice a few things just as we work our way through the words of Luke chapter 3. And in in noticing, first of all, the opening of the uh, chapter that we've read, verses 1 and 2, we have what uh, we could think of in various ways as a preface A prologue or a preamble. You can choose any of those words, I think, appropriately. Notice again what Luke records by inspiration of the Spirit. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now these words in some measure are very history bound. We mentioned history this morning looking together at uh, the book of Judges. God records holy history in His word, in the sacred scriptures. And as God does that, God gives to us a sense of the fact that as we see here, His Word comes in time. I'm glad it does. God has given His Word by inspiration. And as He's given that Word, much as God did through the prophets, so here in the life of John, who is really in that line and succession of prophets. In Luke 16, our Lord will say, the law and the prophets were until John... From that time, the king of he- kingdom of heaven's preached. And John was in some measure, if you will, a bridge and a transition between the prophets and the ministry that God gave them under the old covenant, but as well a bridge that opened the door to the kingdom of heaven that He preached, but also our Lord Jesus proclaimed. And so in that sense, He occupied a very distinctive place and a very distinctive role in the history of God's saving purpose on earth. 
He was one who was marked for a special role. And I believe that scene in what Dr. Luke records about him in Luke 1, when Dr. Luke tells us as his birth was announced to Zacharias, his father, when Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were old and well stricken in years. Now it's not wise for a man to say when a lady reaches that age, you know. But in any event, they were far enough along that they were past the age of childbearing. And yet God, through Zechariah, visited the womb of Elizabeth and she conceived a child and God took away the reproach of her infertility. But not only that, the child that was given her, according to Luke 1, was a child who was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. That shows, I believe, the remarkable nature of this special sign child wonder birth that God gave to Elizabeth. But not only that, it also shows the special significance of the child she carried in the work that he was given to do by God in announcing the person of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Not a wonder birth, but a virgin birth in His case. For our Lord Jesus was born apart from the aid, instrumentality, or help of man. God by His Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary. And that blessed child born, that holy thing born, as Luke 1 speaks of, was none other than the Son of God. That's the Savior that we love, that we worship, that we adore, we give all glory to. John was in a very distinctive way his forerunner. Now in regard to what we see in those verses that form the preface, or if you will, again, the prologue, the preamble, allow me to read from just a couple of verses in the prophets. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words of introduction to Isaiah's prophecies. Chapter 1, verse 1, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah... Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Here again, there's a time-bound character to God's Word. It's the everlasting Word of the eternal God. It's the Word of the Lord which liveth and abideth forever, as Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter 1 say. And yet, that Word comes within time. I'm glad it does. I'm glad that in the midst of a world that's marked by sin and rebellion, darkness and depravity, God sends His Word and He says by His Word, let there be light. And hallelujah, there's light. He does that even today. Not in new revelation, but rather in this blessed book that He's kept by preservation. The Word that He gave by inspiration, He's been pleased to maintain, to keep. And you and I, by God's grace, have His preserved Word today. That's a blessed thing to think about. I don't have to have a conversation with God in my living room with Him face to face to hear from heaven. I can open this blessed book and I'll hear, I'll hear the voice of God by the grace of His Spirit. That, brothers and sisters, is the beauty of this book. Allow me to read, though, as well, the words that begin the minor prophets, as we sometimes call them. Isaiah begins the major prophets, but Hosea 1, verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Again, the idea of the word of the Lord came but it was within that historical setting. And that's really how Dr. Luke, as he gives us that outline of the Caesar, Tiberius, but also the Tetrarchs, and then even the high priest, and then he says the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. Thank God that word reached him. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. That's the background. Now, as that happened, I remind you that when Zacharias received the announcement of John's birth, and by the way, I've said this in times past, but I, I, I love it. I love the way God does birth announcements. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures? Now, the Lord willing, we will be having mid September. A second grandson. And I'm excited. The first one's been so good, I'm excited about the second. You know, it's 
I've enjoyed Grayson. He was born November 16th. There last year, I was in Canada when he was born, but because of the uh, blessing of internet, I was able by WhatsApp to go into the hospital room after Sarah had given birth, Terry, and all our children were there, Sarah's husband, Stephen, and they told me, this is Grayson Elsie Hopper. My dad's name was Elsie, and they blessed me by putting that as his middle name. It was a blessing. I've enjoyed him too. And I'm looking forward to Judah David. I love that middle name, by the way, David. Uh, Judah David. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't do birth announcements the way we do them. After Judah David's born, maybe Valerie, maybe Stacy will write out a birth announcement and say, Judah David, so many inches long, so many pounds, mother and baby are doing well. God doesn't do birth announcements that way. Before the baby's born, in many cases before the baby is conceived, God announces the birth. God did that with Zechariah. Said, Zechariah said, how shall this be? Seeing I'm old and well stricken in years. Gabriel didn't like that question too well, you'll remember. I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. You'll not be able to speak till the child's born. Some of you ladies would like nine months of silence from your husband, wouldn't you? <laughs> Junior, we, we're going to leave that one alone, aren't we, brother? You and I both. Yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> Terry's smiling too big on that one right there. I guess in her mind she's wondering, what would that be like? I don't know. But in any event, John's... Father, he didn't accept that word with, uh, with uh, 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 an affirming faith. How can it be? But it happened. Elizabeth gave birth to this child. The Word of God came to him in the wilderness. And God sent His Word again. After what? When that Word came, brothers and sisters, Zechariah, Israel had gone through what many Bible students call the 400 silent years. God had not spoken since Malachi. And for over 400 or around 400 years, give or take, the Word of the Lord had not been seen. The signs and miracles had not taken place. But then God breaks into the silence and God sends His Word and announces the birth of Messiah's forerunner. What good news it was. As we read on, and I could, I don't want to labor that too long because there's more to say if God will. But if you will notice, as as Doctor Luke by inspiration gives us that preamble, that preface, that prologue, he then goes on to speak. And I want to ask you to really drop down to verses four and five because we'll read verse three. But it, it, it there's an as that coordinates with it in verse four. And he came, that is John into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. I want to come back to that as we think about John's proclamation in just a minute. But if we could notice what follows that. As John came into all that country about Jordan, that happened as it is written, verse 4, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His Pass straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Those words are a quotation from the words of the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 40, and they speak of the one who would be the forerunner. Now, the words are also found in Malachi 3 1. Behold, I send my messenger before my face, and he shall prepare the way before me and the angel the, the excuse me the messenger of the covenant uh, whom ye seek will come suddenly to his temple and that's a reference to Christ but the messenger who comes before him is the one that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 40 now Isaiah is a great book love it but have you ever noticed that Isaiah can be divided into two parts chapters 1 through 39 and then chapter 40 through 66. Have you ever thought about how many books there are in the Bible? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. What does the New Testament begin with? The ministry of John the Baptist. What does Isaiah 40 begin with? 
the ministry of John the Baptist. What does it end with? The scriptures of the New Testament. New heaven and new earth. What does Isaiah 66 end with? New heaven, new earth. Now that's free, no extra charge, okay? But it's an amazing thing that we have, if you will, almost a miniature. And it begins there in Isaiah 40 in that second part of Isaiah with the ministry of the Baptist. The one who is to prepare the way of the Lord. He was going ahead of Him. And I believe John occupied that very distinctive role in the history of God's saving purpose that the Scriptures record. And He's the one who I believe our Lord Jesus made reference to when our Lord in John 10 spoke of Himself as the Good Shepherd. And He spoke of how the sheep hear His voice. But as He spoke about the sheepfold, He said, to Him, the Good Shepherd, the porter openeth. Who's the porter, the doorkeeper? I believe that's a reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who presented Messiah, who presented the good shepherd that had come to save his people, he presented him to the people of Israel. And he was one who was appointed by God, filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb for that purpose, that he might point him out to Israel. As he says in John 1, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John preached him, and we'll see that as we move on, God willing, through these words of Luke 3. But here we see that prediction that was given, that prophecy that Isaiah had spoken, that Isaiah told about the forerunner, the one who was the preparer of the way of the Lord, Jehovah Jesus, the one who is Himself as God, fully man. And some have said it this way, He's as much man as though He were not God and as much God as though He were not man. And in His glorious person, there's the union of the nature of deity, Godhead, and the nature of humanity, manhood. Thank God, joined in His glorious person so that He can be the Savior that we as sinners desperately need. And that, brothers and sisters, is what John spoke of. But I like what Isaiah foretold as he spoke of his work in preparing the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough places plain and the crooked places straight. Aren't you glad for the work that God does through His Word? You see, there's a, there's a humbling work. What's high and exalted is going to be brought low. And what's humbled is going to be elevated. I'd rather be humble on those terms, wouldn't you? I'd rather be one that I realize that, you know, I'm a preacher and sometimes preachers can become kind of stuffy, you know. I remember hearing about one man, he was addressed as brother by a, a fella, and he said, I'm sorry, that's a doctor. <laughs> I don't care too much for that. Call me brother, that's fine. I'm glad to be part of the family. I'm just glad that He's put me in the family, in the number. Every valley will be exalted though. And what did our Lord say in Luke 18 against the backdrop of the parable of the publican and the Pharisee? Remember the Pharisee, he went to the temple and he prayed and he prayed like most Jewish men, I guess. Threw his hands up to air and he started saying, God, I thank You that I'm not like other men. And he began to, I believe he was like a peacock preening his feathers. But what's going to happen? Every mountain and hill will be brought low. And that publican, though, wouldn't so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And what does our Lord say? This man went down to his house justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That, brothers and sisters, is what John's ministry was all about. To the religious, and let me just give you this illustration, how he greeted them in verse 7. We'll come back to it by way of the outline, but in verse 7, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That doesn't sound like the way you want to greet your congregation on a Sunday morning. And that's the way he did it. 
And, and, and Matthew tells us, I believe, that, that that was particularly directed toward the religious. When the Pharisees and scribes came, he said, you brood of snakes, you gang of copperheads and rattlers who told you to miss hell's fire. That's pretty strong. I don't generally greet congregations like that. But John did. Why? Because he knew the serious business. When religion puffs somebody up, sadly, religion can do that. Religion can make us self-righteous. True religion should humble us. True religion should bring us low. True religion should do in our souls that which keeps us from becoming stiff and arrogant. Instead, it should make us say, to God alone be glory. That, brothers and sisters, is the hallmark of Scripture. And that's why Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat, or you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, that's the business we're to be about. And that was the ministry the Baptist had as predicted, as prophesied by Isaiah in the anticipation of the arrival of the forerunner of Messiah Jesus. As we move on, if you would, let's come to His preaching. And I'd ask you to go back with me to verse 3 and let's pick that up and then yoke it together with verses 7 and following. As we consider this preaching, we read in verse 3 again, And he, that is John, came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. There's that word repentance that we spoke a little bit about this morning. We looked at it from more of an Old Testament perspective in that word turn in Jeremiah three twelve through 14 But we pointed out that the Greek word for repentance in the New Testament is the word metanoia. And it has the idea of a change of mind and a change of heart that is marked by an accompanying change of practice, change of habit, change. You see, that's what man stands in desperate need of. Humanity needs a change. Now we, we see today a call for a change in our society at large. But I'm afraid it's the wrong kind of change. Culture needs to change. And yes, there are, I would say, racial sins in our culture. But that's not the biggie. The biggie is our sin against the living God. Because that's where sin begins. It doesn't start with man against man or woman against woman, people against people. It starts with our raised fist elevated against the God of heaven. As the hymn writer in that great hymn, Hell Sovereign Love, wrote, Against the God who rules the sky, I fought with hand uplifted high, despised the mention of His grace, too proud to seek a hiding place. But I love that next stanza, But thus the eternal counsel ran, Almighty love arrest that man. I felt the arrows of distress and found I had no hiding place. See, the greatest thing that a sinner this side of heaven or hell can be shown, this side of eternity, is to be shown his or her sin. And that's what John made consequential in his preaching. Pointing sinners to their need of a place of safety and refuge because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so he preached that. And as he preached repentance, he, he, he spoke of it this way as we read in verse 7. Again, if you would notice those words there and the words that follow. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Notice the principle of what John said in his preaching. His proclamation had in its heart this idea, this main thought, this big idea that sinners 
need repentance. That is, sinners need a change of mind and heart that will lead to a thoroughgoing change of life. Now that is something for which we're accountable. That's something for which we are responsible. Ezekiel 18, to which I made reference today, God said to the children of Israel in Ezekiel's day, make you a new heart. Responsible. But here's the other side of the biblical equation. Unable. I'm accountable. We preach that. We believe men are responsible before God and one day they shall give account. But at the same time, in their depravity, they are incapable of doing what they ought to do. And that's Scripture hews that line. And I want to hew it too by the grace of God and be faithful. But these people are told to do what? Well, don't say you're children of Abraham. What does John say? God's able to take these stones and make children of Abraham. Who has the power to change us then? Not myself, but God. And that scene in what he says when he talks about the axe being laid to the root of the trees... Because when he talks about trees, we're getting close to the, pro- the matter of nature. The Lord Jesus put it this way. He said, he asked the question, do men gather figs and thistles? Can you imagine a thorn bush saying, I'm going to produce figs. It doesn't even think about that. Why? Because that's contrary to its nature. The only way that sinners can be changed in such a way as to do that which is contrary to their depraved character is by a new birth. And that's why the Lord Jesus told a very religious man in John chapter 3 when He came to him by night and He said, Master, we know that Thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles thou doest except God be with him. And I believe he expected the Lord Jesus to say thank you for the bouquet. But Jesus didn't say that. He said verily, verily I say unto thee except ye be born again ye cannot see the kingdom of God. Because you see when I dress up in my religious finery by the way I I like this suit I'm wearing. My wife likes it too. She told me today, she said, that's, that's one of your, my favorite suits. That's, that, that I think looks the best on you. It fits you. I said, well, I'm glad I got one that does. <laughs> I sometimes wonder about those compliments, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it's, let me tell you, it's a Daniel Cremiere. I think I said it right. That's French. And I appreciate it. It's, I didn't buy it. A preacher friend over in Greensboro gave it to me. I think he outsized it. I'm glad when preachers outsize their clothes because a lot of times they think of me. But, but I think he outsized it differently. Most of my preacher friends, they outgrow their suits. But he undergrew it. I think he lost weight. And so he said, Brother, I, I want you to stop by. I've got some suits and this is it. And I appreciate it. I like my suits now. And I like when they come like that. He'd rather than pay, you know, whatever his name is up there at warehouse. But you know, for all that I put on outwardly, it can be no more than like the religion a lot of people put on in this world. It takes the living God to clothe us like we ought to be clothed. We have as example the very seed plot book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. When our first parents sinned, what did they do? They knew they were naked and they put on fig leaves. Thank you, Brother Ken. They put on fig leaves. I've never worn them. And if you see me wearing them, you can know I'm a little text, okay? Just mark it down. But that's what sin is like. We realize there's a problem and what do we do? We start sewing stuff together to take care of the problem. I can remember when God convicted me of my sin as a youth entering 10th grade years ago. I can remember I did my best to dress myself up. 
But I found out miserably I couldn't do it. You see, God provided for Adam and Eve skins, didn't He? He took away their fig leaf righteousness and gave them skins. Why? Well, because skins required what? The death of a victim. You don't get skins from an animal unless that animal's died. And what was God doing? He was preaching the gospel to our first parents. He was showing them that if they were going to be clothed before God, someone had to die. Now that animal couldn't do it fully and finally. It was just a promissory. And the animal was saying by its death in the garden, someone's coming who will take away sin. John the Baptist had the privilege of saying on the banks of Jordan, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's good news. Because all of my righteousnesses, which Isaiah 64, 6 tell me, are as filthy rags. I can throw away that rotten, filthy garment and by grace, I can be clothed with that which God accepts, a robe of righteousness and garments of salvation which He supplies through the work of His Son. And John was preaching to the people in principle a change of life that is not rooted in ourselves, a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of life that will not be produced or found or manufactured by man. It has to be produced by God's sovereign grace. It has to be produced by a God who alone is able to make new hearts for us. And that's what God says in Ezekiel 36. By the way, I mentioned chapter 18. Go 18 more chapters and you get to chapter 36. And you know what God says? God says, I'll sprinkle clean water upon you. Verse 25. And then in verse 26 He says, And I will give you a new heart. I will take the heart of stone out of you and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Thank God! Hallelujah! A new heart for sinners! Back when I was growing up in the 70's, some news rocked the world. A man named Christian Bernard had done what they said in the news was the first heart transplant in South Africa. But it wasn't so. Our God had been doing heart transplants in sinners a long time before Christian Bernard ever walked ever breathed. And that's what grace does. And that's what John spoke of. A change of life, a change of heart, a change of mind which God produces as He takes those whose lives are producing the wrong thing and by grace makes them produce that fruit that is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what grace accomplishes. That's what God does. And so we see it in the preaching of John, that principle that marked the good news that he proclaimed. But as John did that, that, that proclamation, that preaching of John the Baptist was marked by not only the principle of repentance, but he got down to where the people lived. Notice verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. What's he doing here? Well, he's taken that word of principle about repentance, and now he's putting it into practice. He's showing them how it applies. And notice one more example of it, please. Later in the chapter, in verse 18 we read, "...and many other things in His exhortation preached He unto the people." He was the word preached in the Greek text is uanaglizomai, the word for evangelize or preach the good news. He was exhorting them, proclaiming the good news. What did that include? Notice verse 19. "...but Herod the Tetrarch..." being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. What did John do in making the word practical? 
He spoke to the soldiers. He spoke to the publicans, tax collectors. He spoke to the common people. But he also spoke to the royalty. He singled out King Herod and he said, Herod, it's not right for you to have that woman. That's your brother's wife. And that didn't go too well. But I think John was like Billy Sunday. They told Billy Sunday about his preaching. Brother, you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. And Billy Sunday said, let the cat turn around. He didn't care. Why? Because John knew. I remember the story when I was ordained years ago, June 19th, 1982. In my mind, as we passed that date last month, I thought again about the privilege that I had to be set apart to the gospel ministry by some brethren who laid hands on me. One of the brothers shared the story at my ordination that was told of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was the court chaplain to Henry VIII, the King of England. Many of you know something of Henry's history. He was a man who was known for the wives that he took and the wives he put away. Some even beheaded. And the story's told of Brother Latimer that one Sunday he was to preach in the king's chapel and he took as his text Hebrews chapter 13. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but adulterers and whoremongers God will judge. And he preached that text in the presence of Henry. A courtier came to Latimer later that week and said, Hugh Latimer, the king was quite displeased with thy sermon, but because he favors thee, he is going to give thee another opportunity to preach this coming Sunday. Hugh Latimer stood that next Sunday before the king, and he said, Hugh Latimer, Knowest thou not before whom thou art called to preach this day? Thou art called to preach before the right noble, Henry VIII, King of all England, Ireland, France, and Scotland, who can sever thy head from thy shoulders. And then he stopped and he said, Hugh Latimer, knowest thou not before whom thou art called to preach this day? Thou art called to preach before Him who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is able not only to destroy the body, but to cast both body and soul into hell. And he preached the same message from Hebrews 13. Brothers and sisters, that was the heart of John the loyal. John the Baptist. Calling out sin wherever he saw it. Calling out sin before Herod. Calling it out the publican. Calling it out the soldier. Calling it out to the people. How does God expect you to live? He, this is it. And he presented the truth in practice of what God's design was for the people. They tell the story of some women one time who were in the Amen Corner. <clears throat> the preacher was going strong. And he said, I tell you, this this." Going up to the pool hall and gambling is going to have to stop. And they said, Amen, preacher, Amen. He said, I'll tell you, this this running to the dance hall and all this dancing and shuffling and jiving and shucking is going to have to stop. Amen, preacher, Amen. And I'll tell you, all this running to the bar and night on Saturdays, coming into the church house on the... That's going to have to end. Amen, preacher, amen. And he said, I'll tell you too, this dipping snuff and carrying on like that's going to have to end. And one of them looked up and said, he's done stopped preaching and gone to meddling. <laughs> well, when the Word of God begins to meddle, that's when it's good, isn't it? Because I know I've got some trimming to do in my life. I know the Word of God needs to speak to me so that I can do what I'm called to do, and that is what? Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. And that, brothers and sisters, is what John preached here to God's people, to Israel, a religious people, but a people who had put on the fig leaves of religion and had missed the reality of relationship with the living God. Now finally, if you would notice with me another thing, and this we would say is preparation here. Notice what we find Dr. Luke recording by inspiration in verse 15. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused, wondered in their hearts of John or about John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them, All 
I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Then if you drop down to verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him, and a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Here we see, if you will, that preparation that shows John as indeed the forerunner of Messiah who knew that Jesus had a work to do that John and no other prophet could accomplish. For you see, as these people are looking at John and his ministry and in his preaching and in his work as a baptizer, They're beginning to think, well, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Is this God's appointed, anointed, predicted one from the Old Covenant Scriptures? And John put the gun to the head of that real quick and pulled the trigger. John said, it's not I. He said, there's one coming after me. And he will, John says, baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He said, I'm not worthy to unloose the latchet of his sandal as a servant. The, the humblest job that a servant should do. I'm not worthy to do it because of who He is and the glory of His person. The Lord Jesus. And as He owns that, He says He's the one who will baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. And then He talks about how I had that fan they would use to, to uh, eliminate the chaff and, and when the wheat was threshed. And He said He'll gather the wheat into His granary and He'll burned the chaff with fire unquenchable. And that shows us what those two baptisms were. A baptism with the Holy Ghost and a baptism with fire. Every now and again you may ride down the road out in the country and you'll see a sign out in front of a church building that says, Fire Baptized Holy Church. They better hope not. Because that baptism with fire is not what people think in that regard. People who are saved are baptized by the Spirit. People who are lost, their baptism is going to be a different baptism. A baptism with fire unquenchable that's reserved for the chaff. But now what's interesting is, as Dr. Luke gives us this preaching of John the preparer of the Lord, he goes on to say that Jesus Himself was baptized and was praying while he was baptized. I think really we should do that sometimes when we read Scripture. We, we, we're so used to it we forget. But some things in the Bible ought to bite us, stand, bite us and shock us, you know. What is he, if, if he's mightier than John, if John's not worthy to unloose the sandal of his shoes, if he's the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, if he's the Messiah whom God has commissioned all judgment but also the blessing of his people, what is he doing being baptized? You remember in Matthew, John realized that this baptism, he said, it is I who should be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. Why was he back being baptized? Well, brothers and sisters, like what H. A. Ironside said about our Lord Jesus, those believers who had received and repented, received John's baptism, they went down, and if you will, they left their bad debts in the water. And the Lord Jesus, now this is an image now, an illustration. The Lord Jesus came along, and as he was baptized, he collected all those bad debts. And what did he do? He took them to Calvary and paid them. You see, while I said that the the people of God are the ones who are baptized with the Spirit, those who do not repent and believe, they're going to be baptized with fire. There's one example of one man who was baptized with the Spirit and also baptized with fire. It's this Savior. 
What did the Spirit do? He came in bodily form as a dove upon the Lord Jesus and showed that He was the Messiah, the Anointed One. The Spirit-Anointed One. He would go and look for and quote the words of Isaiah 61 and say, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. But that one who was anointed with the Spirit, may we say it reverently, baptized with the Spirit, as Dr. Luke takes us by inspiration to the end of the story, he's also the one who was baptized with fire. He's the one who, as the daughters of Jerusalem wept over him as he was carrying his cross out. He said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. For if they do this in the green tree, what will be done in the dry? Why did he say that? Well, follow the story along on further in Luke 23. As he's there on that cross hung, the people begin to mock him. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Even the thieves do that. But there comes a watershed in one of those thieves' lives. For while his buddy continues, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us, the other one, now taught of the Spirit of God by God's grace, says, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Nothing out of place. Well, why is he on the cross then? Because he's taken a baptism of fire for his people. He's taken a baptism of fire for sinners so that they would not have to go to that awful place. The one who here is anointed by the Spirit, form of a dove, coming down, resting upon Him. John saw it and he said, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. That same darling Son of God cried out. The orphans cry on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? So that you and I might not hear Him say, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, but rather what? Come, ye blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that's why, brothers and sisters, that's why God's darling Son appeared in the flesh. And as we read beyond verse 22, that's why I had you do it. Because it's right after this that Dr. Luke gives us a genealogy of the Lord Jesus that traces Him. Unlike Matthew's Gospel, Matthew traces Him back to Abraham through David. But by inspiration, Dr. Luke traces Him all the way back to the Adam. Why does he do that? Because, brothers and sisters, He took our humanity so that He could be the sin-bearer of His people. I'm glad He took our humanity. And what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who believe, who walk not after the Spirit, but after the... Not walk, not walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, brothers and sisters, this one John preached, he pointed forward to, behold the Lamb of God. He saw, he saw something of the purpose of our Lord's enfleshment, His incarnation. May you and I glory in that too. May you and I know that work that changes us through the one who at the cross paid as the gospel chorus says so well. says it simpler than I've said it tonight from Luke 3. But it says, He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And so, I owe Him a lot tonight. I owe Him my all. I owe Him my life. By grace, may you and I go out and live as a Second Chronicles 7.14 people. 
If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, every mountain and hill brought low, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. May our God bless His Word, brothers and sisters. Help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do.